Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome. Thank you for joining me. Today we're going to be continuing in our Yeshua Son of David study as we go through Matthew's Gospel, and we are in Lesson 34. We want to look at Jesus as the Discoverer. The Discoverer. As we continue in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to see more about who Jesus is, and how this applies and what it means. As noted in the last lesson, he is the judge of all, the true separator. Now, through three additional parables that he gives in this chapter, we find him also to be the discoverer. I want to read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 52 today. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So let's talk about these three parables first and then find out what the main point is. In the first parable, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a hidden treasure. This man finds a treasure in a field. And so then this man becomes the buyer. He finds it, he hides that in the field, and then filled with joy, he sells everything to buy it. Let's remember common themes and imagery as we go through some of these things that are found in the scriptures. First of all, Jesus has already indicated to us that the field is the world, and the treasure that he finds in the field are the people Believers, those who will come to know him, those who will be born-again ones, those who will become part of his church, his called-out ones. So this man finds this treasure. He sees it, and he hides it because he treasures it and wants it so much. Then he sells everything in order to buy it. Now, I believe that, that the Lord is speaking here about the world being the field, meaning the people in the world, all people of all time. The Lord has desired that no one perish, but that everyone come to repentance, come to know him and be born again of the spirit of the living God. That's what he's after. And he's after that from every single individual and has been ever since the very first man and woman were created, Adam and Eve, in the garden. Even in the garden, he set in motion the plan of redemption to buy them back. Why? Because they were his treasure, and all people from them have still been 
and are still today his treasure. So what did he do? Well, let's look in a couple of places that will help us understand. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That was through verse 8. Jesus humbled himself. He came to find and save the lost. He even said in his ministry that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He sold everything, meaning that he humbled himself. He became like a servant. He became a human being. He was still God and human at the same time. He added, in, in a sense, he humbled himself to add upon himself humanity to his deity in that moment for this mission. So Jesus buys the people that will come to him. He offers them the gift of salvation. They're the treasure that he has found. And so when people receive him, he buys them, not to use them as a possession, but to make them his bride, that one that he loves and treasures, that one of high price, high price to him because of what he was willing to pay to have her. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What is that price? Well, let's look at, first of all, Psalm chapter 49, verse 7 and 8, to understand a little more about this price. None of them can by any means redeem or purchase or buy back his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, a payment for him, for the redemption or the purchase of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. That's talking about Jesus and the fact that he will pay the price and then he will rise from the dead. He will not be utterly corrupted in the ground and in death. So we see that the price that must be paid, according to this psalmist, is very costly to redeem people. So let's look, because all of the New Testament authors and the Lord himself show us what this price is, who paid it, and how it was paid. But I want us to look now at Peter's writing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but, in other words, rather you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. That word precious can also mean costly or valuable. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, Peter says, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's through verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. Peter is telling us that we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it was already determined before God ever made the first man. Why? Because people are important to God, and they were worth it to God. They were worth Him purchasing us to buy us back. We were people. We were the treasure that He found in the field of the world, and He was willing to buy us, to have us. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, there's a coming a day when we will sing the song of the redeemed and we will praise him because he has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He has redeemed us like a kinsman redeemer, a goel would do in the old days of the Old Testament. Praise be to God. This redemption cost God everything. He sold everything, so to speak. It cost God. It cost even his own son to be able to purchase our salvation. But John 3.16 tells us that the Father gave his only son so that we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life if we will believe in him. Jesus willingly paid the debt. What was that debt? Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 tell us that every one of us, all people, have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. There was a death penalty. There was a death sentence on us because of sin. And yet Jesus took my death penalty. He took your death penalty. He died for my sin, not his own. He died for your sin, not his own. Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. In other words, it was because of our transgressions. He was bruised for or because of our iniquities. The chastisement that was necessary for our peace, the chastisement for our peace was placed upon him, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We are saved. He died for your sin and for mine, beloved friend. He took your death sentence and mine. Daniel 9, 24 through 26 also confirms this where Daniel tells us that there is Messiah, the prince, is coming. He is coming. And when he comes, he will be cut off. He will die. But not because of what he has done. It has nothing to do with his own. He didn't sin. But he died because of my sin. He took my sin. He bore our sins in order to pay for them because we are that treasure Hallelujah. I want to read a couple more places about the treasure of us. All people, all who will believe in him, all who will be born again of the Spirit of the living God and become true sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, this is God speaking, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God is instructing Moses. So God has designed for us to be a special treasure, a special people. In Psalm 135, verse 4, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. So note these things. It's people. The treasure is people. The treasure are those who will be his people, who will receive him, who will call upon his name. Peter tells us about it also. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, beginning in verse 4, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Praise be to God. The second parable now that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 13 also is about a pearl of great price. This is basically a second confirmation of the exact same thing he just talked about in the hidden treasure in the field. This pearl of great price, there's a merchant representing the Lord himself. He seeks a great pearl of great price. He's seeking that wonderful pearl and he finds one of great price, meaning it's very valuable, very precious to him. And so he sells everything to buy that one pearl. The meaning is the same as the hidden treasure in the field. The pearl of great price is another way of illustrating people who will love him and believe in him. All the people in the world he created that will become saved and be his disciples. He died to save us. He died to pay our death sentence. He died to pay the payment that was required for our sin so that we could be in relationship with him. And it was foreordained before he ever even created man and woman in the Garden of Eden. He knew it. He knew the price that was going to have to be paid. And he was willing to make man anyway. He was willing to come anyway. He was willing to say, yes, I will be that ransom that has to spend a very costly price. The great price, hallelujah, was his own blood on the cross shed for me shed for you. We are even more valuable to him than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he says in Matthew 6 and other places. Psalm 49 has told us that the redemption of people is very costly, and yet Jesus came. He was willing to pay the great price necessary to buy the treasure, to buy the pearl of great price. We are that valuable to him. He paid the high price giving his own blood on the cross to buy you and me. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he values us. 
The third parable that he tells in Matthew 13 is about this dragnet, this fishing net that is cast and it collects all kinds of fish, both good and bad. But there's a coming time of separation. He says at the shore, the people will drag it up to the shore and then they will sit there and they will go through each fish and separate. They'll throw the bad away and they'll gather the good ones into vessels. Jesus explains this to us speaking of the end of the age when there's coming a time of separation and he will discover who's the good ones and who's the bad ones, not based on their own works and merits, but did they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Is their name written in the Lamb's book of life or not? That is where the separation comes. And beloved friend, Those names that will appear in the Lamb's Book of Life are all those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus and in His precious blood for their sins alone. The payment that He made is worth it. It is enough to pay for your sin and for mine. But we must receive it. It's a gift that's been offered to us, but we must receive it and apply it to ourselves. Jesus uses this net illustration, which many of them would have been fishing fishing and fishers, and so they would understand this clearly, especially some of his disciples who used to be fishermen in their days before they came to become his disciples. And as a matter of fact, we've already seen in Matthew where when Jesus called them, according to Jeremiah 16, verse 16, this is part of that prophetic fulfillment. God calls fishers of men even today. We are still to be his fishers of men. We are to try to reach all that we can And we're not responsible for whether they truly believe in the Lord or not. We're responsible to go out and catch them. We're responsible to sow. We're responsible to sow and cast out to them the truth of the word of God. We're responsible to fish for them. He will do the sorting at the end. Our job is to fish for them, to teach them and help them, to try to influence them all we can for the gospel's sake to try to do just like John did in John chapter 1, verse 29. He pointed people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. That's our job, is to point people to Jesus, to bring them to the Lord. God knows the true from the false, the good from the bad. He does the judging. He does the separating at the end. So he's used all of these parables to teach things that were very important for the disciples to understand. So he asked them, do you understand all of these things? And they said, yes, we understand. So now in verse 52 of chapter 13 of Matthew, he gets to the whole point, the whole moral of the story, the whole moral of all that he's been trying to instruct them. And he tells them the reason you need to understand these parables is because you are my disciples and you need to know these things. You need to understand that we are the sowers, those who are working for him. We are his servants. We are those that spread his word, spread his gospel. Those bringing the treasure of his word and his good news to people everywhere. Even to today, this applies to us today. Even today, we are his servants. We are his disciples if we're truly born again and seeking to spread the gospel as he has commanded every Christian to do. So we need to bring, bring out, bring forth. It's to cast forth or to bring forth. 
when you dig into the origins of this Greek word, it's talking about to take something that originated inside and cast it out and to sow it, to bring it forth. So you're bringing out from within you, your own heart, the treasures that you've put in your heart. You are bringing it out from its place of origin in your heart that you've sown it in your own heart. And you are then spreading it to others from what is inside of you. So what's inside of us, what's inside of us that he says, says here is the treasure. And it's talking about the treasure of God's word, the treasure of a real relationship with the Lord, that which has been deposited in us. And what we bring out from that deposit, from that treasure needs to be the good things, both old and new. Now, I believe he's speaking here about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Logos and its understanding. He took principles that were already spoken of and examples that they would understand bearing from even Old Testament days into New Testament, but he expounded them and put them in newer ways for these people to grasp. So it's talking about the Logos and its understanding and how to bring it about in ways similar to what Jesus did in teaching these things. Now, this responsibility placed on every Christian does require a few things. Now, not every single Christian has a calling to preach or to teach necessarily, but all of us are given the mandate that Jesus gave to all of his disciples, and that is to spread the gospel, to spread the message of Jesus to the world, to teach about him, to preach the gospel, make disciples. That just means to teach them, to, to help them along, to grow to maturity in Christ Jesus, and to teach them his word. So I believe this does require some diligence on every Christian's part, more so for those who are called to certain ministries like teaching and preaching. It requires diligence in the study and understanding of the Word of God. That will come only through spending time with God in prayer and reading His Word and studying His Word because He wants us to understand it. And in doing so, we need to have care and fear of the Lord and honor for His name. The New Testament and the Old Testament work like a hand in glove. They fit perfectly. And they are both necessary together to understand thoroughly the message that God entrusted into the authors when he wrote both and sanctified both as the true word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2.15, it tells us that we are to be students. We're to diligently study the word of God to show ourselves approved to God, a workman that doesn't have to be ashamed. That's true to every Christian. Study is required. We need to understand the Word of God. And the only way to understand it is to read it and to get before the Lord, asking His Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And that will come through diligent study. We're responsible to honor God and teach accurately of Him, sharing the truth about Him, the Bible says rightly dividing his word, meaning to understand and distinguish it, to be able to comprehend it and communicate it accurately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, 
Paul talks about us being stewards of the word of God, stewards of the treasure, what has been deposited in us from within that deposit, that treasure from the word of God that is in us, we then sow it. We then are the faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. We are the ones who are required to then share it to others in a way that honors God and that is accurate and true to him and his message. He wants us to share the word because he also wants to save and rescue them just like he did us. We're not talking about when it says here that we're to bring these new things and these old things. It doesn't mean new revelation in the sense of new scripture, new expansion of scripture. The Bible tells us and warns us in four different places, three of them in the Old Testament and one of them in the New, do not ever add to or take away from my words. So we're not talking about some new revelation. There is no new revelation. There's no new books to be added to the scriptures. There's no new taking of what God said in his word and then changing it to come up with some new, so to speak, version. And there are some of those out today. I warn you, be careful. Do not participate in those. But rather what Jesus is saying is that we take the word of God and can bring it strictly the word itself, but also apply it in newer ways to communicate the truth that is the same truth that's been there all along. So for instance, let's just use a simple one. The King James Version, for instance, versus more modern language speaking versions of today. So let's just take the King James Version for a moment. In that day, that is how people spoke and they would understand those terms and that type of speaking. Today, that is not as easy to understand. That doesn't mean it's a bad version. It just means that it's not as easy for a common person or a new Christian to understand as perhaps the New King James or the NASB or even today the CEV. We have different versions. And there's no problem with that as long as they are true to the old manuscripts, true to the original manuscripts of old. They are just putting newer language and using newer ways to communicate, just like Jesus did when he began to teach with using parables. Therefore, the emphasis for us is to do exactly what the psalmist taught us and said in Psalm 119, verse 11, when he said this, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Our impetus is to take the treasure of the word of God and devour it and feast on it and read it and study it and get it inside of us so that it is the treasure from within us that we can then bring forth to share with other people that which is new and that which is old coming forth from us. The treasure being God's word within us. And we can bring it forth, bring forth true understanding of the truth of the gospel in ways that people can understand and identify with. Because God wants us to reach people. He counts us all as a treasure that he was willing to buy. 
because he loves us that much. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages in this series, and to God be the glory for it all. May the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.